Forge 103.9 and Newsome. Welcome back to Real Talk. It's your host, Mr. Matt Munoz. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, it is the return of E! News with our friend and your friend, Mr. Cesario Garaza. From the Bakersfield, California. And how you doing, bro? I'm fantastic. Let's talk about your lowdown this week. Yes. Uh, I'm sure um, a lot of people out there, if you listen to this, if you're local, that you heard the news about uh, uh, local music promoter, veteran music promoter, filmmaker, Nate Berg, mm-hmm. uh, passed away last yeah. week, and Cesario wrote his lowdown. So, Cesario, tell me all about it. Man, what a wild windstorm mm-hmm. that was, man. It was like uh, we he passed away on Friday, Friday morning, early Friday morning, late Thursday night, and uh, his... Like his birthday was the 16th, so it was just maybe like three days before that. And he just turned 52, mm-hmm. and um, he was reported missing like a, not too long after. And then he was declared or found that he had passed away on Sunday. And all sorts of rumors and innuendo. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I heard about it, somebody said, "It looks sounds like he was murdered." It's like what? What? No. You know, when he first got, and, you know, it's one of the things that I addressed in my article about him was a very complicated memorial to write because mm-hmm. he was such a uh, complicated and also, uh, what's the word that I used? <laughs> uh, the he was such polarizing. A, polarizing is yes, the word. Polarizing, yeah. polarizing individual. Well, let's let's get people caught up on who exactly we're talking about here. So, yeah. Nate, Nate Berg, Nathaniel Berg. Yeah. Uh, if you grew up in the music scene in the uh, what was it? What what year? What kind of time? Frame the timeline. The time frame was about mid nineteen nineties, about ninety four, ninety five, mm-hmm. and then he was a promoted until about yeah. the mid two thousand. At J- Jerry's Pizza. Yeah. So if you were a Jerry's kid back in those days, Jerry's Pizza, of course, it's the basement in downtown. Yeah. Legendary, a bunch of bands kind of got their start of you toured. And one of the, the promoter who would book your band there was Nate Berg. Yeah. Everybody just knew him as Nate from downtown. Yeah, and he was. He had a yeah. leather jacket, the punk rock guy, yep. wore shorts, walked yeah. around, made his own flyers, like those copies. He had guy liner, you know, yeah. wild, wild hair. He kind of looked like yeah. a. He kind of looked like a, 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 a pudgy or Ricky Rackman. Yeah. Kind of, you know. And, <laughs> and he had this kind of. Uh, I, I called him uh, the, 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 the Bill Graham. With Jerry's Pizza being his film, yeah. you know the, the, the Jerry's Jerry Maranowski, who used to own Jerry's Pizza, uh-huh. opened it. Uh, he kind of let him do what he wanted, yeah, know, because he brought in the people. I mean, he brought in the kids. Yeah, he did. You know? And the the other thing about it was that uh, he would bring it through Nate, and he was he was also work with Numbskull through. They would yeah, bring Eddie in Numbskull, Eddie Numbskull, another promoter from uh, Central Coast, up yeah, in Fresno. and they would bring and they would bring in some some real talent. And the thing about it, looking at those old flyers, and both you and I would bump into Nate at Kinko's mm-hmm. when it was on Stockdale Highway, where he'd be there making his flyers, and they had this very distinct look Cut to and him. Paste. Cut yeah. and paste, and because he would do the entire instead of doing a flyer per each band, he would have a flyer for the week. And yeah. it would just be almost show after show, show after, after show. show. And every show had at least five <laughs> bands because that's the way you could maximize the amount of people to go and see a band mm-hmm. perform while, you know, minimizing, you know, any sort of like you can concentrate the money as need be, you know, but not necessarily to any of the open yeah. acts. We know that's kind of a rite of passage for for young bands. But what he would have what's, what's funny is looking at these old flyers and they're kind of like a I called it a Where's Waldo of like, oh, wow, there's a. It's just oh I didn't know that Paramore played that time mm-hmm. or or wow these guys opened yeah. up for everybody you know it, and you're seeing not only the Atari the Ataris oh, yeah, yeah RX Bandits you know they I think Weezer Weezer played there uh, Cursive Cursive you know and, and Weezer Panic at the Disco Paramore Voodoo Glow Skulls you know, Voodoo, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but the, oh, I mean we're talking about some of these bands were 
were bands before they were doing anything. Yeah, they were, they were just, just, just touring bands. Every band, every band of, is a local band before yeah, they make it big. Every, so they just toured, and they were the buzz bat the, at the time. They yeah. were not. They were not signed. He also booked the used. Yeah, yeah. It, you all know, those groups. So, you name it. Who was a Warp tour band into the two thousands? Yeah. No doubt performed. At, I mean, not talking about the band, no doubt, right. but they most likely performed at uh, Jerry's Pizza. Book through Nate. Probably. I mean, those ki- if you're thinking about those kinds of bands, mm-hmm. that the ones that would be on... Okay, think about all the bands that were on the Warp Tour during the time where it was at its prime. Now, think about all the bands that were on the second stages. Those are the guys that played Jerry's. Yeah. And every once in a while, one of the ones that would play in the main stage would also book yeah. at Jerry's. And we're talking about an all-ages venue just on a random Tuesday night where it would be packed top to bottom... Line down the street to Vest Drugs. Line down the street to Vest Drugs in that little sweaty, mm-hmm. hot, damp uh, dungeon of a basement yeah. of Jerry's Pizza with crappy sound, you know, and just packed yeah. from from beginning to end. It was a scene. It was a scene, it and that's what scene. it. And it was like that almost every yeah. night. Yeah, you were a high school kid at that time. That was that was your place to go. Yeah, probably. You had your parent. You had to talk your parents into allowing your. You know, with the, you let you know. Come on, mom. Just drop me off over around the yeah, corner and let me go over to the show. If it, I don't go, it's gonna be. It's gonna suck. It's spoiler. I alert. hate living in this town. It's spoiler <laughs> alert, parents. Spoiler alert, mom. To probably dropped off their kid back in like 2000, 2002. They were probably sneaking a little beer. Yeah. In the be- <laughs> the alley you know so but you, you know, got a slice of pizza yeah you know, cheap, not all dollar, the kids were bad you slice know of pizza were dollar. no in fact most of the most most of the audiences that would go to these shows they'd call themselves jerry's kids mm-hmm. especially the, the generation after the millennials that would go there you know and we'll talk about the later ones that were born like in the early late 70s uh early 80s you know they were they were the they were yeah. the ones that really went to these shows and then once they got older they started going to sandrini's and riley's tavern mm-hmm. Now let's hold. Let's stop that before yeah. we come to uh, you know. Unfortunately, the you know the the loss of Nate. Yeah. Let's go back to kind of like the early time. Like as far as my history with Nate. Full disclosure: I really did not know Nate very well, mm-hmm. even though myself and Cesario we have our own history together in the mm-hmm. music scene, and we have our own separate histories in the music scene. Nate, we knew who Nate was. We, uh, you know, we knew that he was at Cherry's, but as far as like uh, working with Nate, I had a very, very, very limited, um, you know, connection to him as far as that. Now, as far as his history, I do know that prior to arriving in Bakersfield, he was active in the Fresno punk rock scene. Right, right. He had a band. He was a member of a band called Sharon Tate. Right. So if you... (laughs) If you if you're familiar with Sharon Tate, Sharon Tate was uh, she was uh, murdered in the Tate LaBianca murders, uh, the Manson family, yeah. that whole thing. The so one you know, Charlie Manson, yeah. P- punk rock, they kind of took it. This is the name of the band, yeah. Sharon Tate. You know, it's kind of morbid, but he was the singer for the band. Uh, he obviously had his own history in Fresno. Yeah. Uh, I w- did not know much about him. He arrived into Bakersfield and just kind of like. I guess hit the ground running. That's well, all I know. Well, he did. He he did spend a lot of time in Bakersfield. I mean, he went to Garces. I mean, uh, he he did, he also played bass in Hosbruton, where I think he played bass with Mark DeLeon for a for a spell. You know. Yeah. So, see, there's there's so, a lot of it. Like I have no idea. Yeah. There, there, he was. He <laughs> did spend some. He was here in Bakersfield for a time, but you know, he was doing work in in Fresno, and he did some work over in Lancaster as well, too, booking at different places. But for his home base was was here, and, and you know, and he was. He lived his life like a rock star, 
and he and, and it's one of those things where you know he was you know just like you were talking about the, the punk rock uh, tradition of provo- provocation mm-hmm. and, and you're and you're just you know provocative you know provoking stuff and he was he was a he he really kind of thrived on that kind of dramatic conflict whether it was in you know, looking for it or just spot it, trying to, whether wanting to film it later on as a filmmaker or, you know, doing it in person, you know, getting into confrontations with people. He had this kind of like uh, this, this, this kind of way of, of, of being that this kind of fearlessness that a person that I, like I wrote when the way I wrote it was the, the type of fearlessness that a person has when they're not afraid of their own secrets. It's like, so they're just kind of like, they have this, this sort of like, what do you got? What do you got? What do you got? And so he would challenge people or he would say things, you know, and, you know, he he was the kind of guy that would probably take a bat to your windshield, you know, and then that and then just kind of like and yeah. then and then go in and then try, try to count the money to pay out the band. Yeah, it was that kind of thing, you know, uh, and well, you get into that business, you know, kind of like with, uh, you know, so and so's coming to town and you're going to have to roll the dice and say, well, I'm going to tell him I'm going to guarantee these bands this right we don't know how well the show is going to do yeah we don't know any sort of overhead costs that might fall into our lap we yeah. have no idea yeah and then it takes a certain type of character and a certain type of personality trait and kind of like the sort of like maximum personality just uh to kind of take these kind of high stress mm-hmm. you know situations that deal with a lot of money and a lot of pressure and a lot of this and that, a lot yeah, of variables, a lot of attacks, a lot, you know, of, attacks. a lot of attacks on and your personality. Yeah, and, and your thin, your skin can't just be thin; it has to be bulletproof. And that's one of the things. It's like that kind of aloofness really worked well with him, because he was in charge. But just little by little, you know, life has a way of of showing us that we're not. And around the mid, after the mid aughts, you know, when rock and roll just started becoming a little less popular, the 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 the, the, the output of Jerry's was still going and never fully stopped. But it just wasn't the same they weren't getting the same traffic again aging clientele on competition for other places that people were actually going would, would go to instead and then the, the output at jerry stopped and nate disappeared he was gone and i think yeah. he moved to different places I, he spent some time in canada i know he i, know I he always thought <laughs> this is the thing that's I, I i truly i feel like man i never really knew knew him because i always just assumed maybe he was a canadian that lived over oh no i forgot he is from fresno oh he went to garces didn't yeah. know that yeah. there's all these things i don't know anybody who truly knows who nate was unless you know we spoke to like maybe a childhood friend right you know yeah and the the <laughs> the, the two that came up to the forefront the most and there are ones that we talked mm-hmm. to like mark DeLeon and john coley mm-hmm. those two were two of his closest friends mark i mean mark played with yeah with him in um, hospital and they've known him for a long time and they're very champion of they championed mm-hmm. him yeah and they're very very uh i don't want to say protective but they're very they just they they they're they're protective of their friend Mm-hmm. And the memories of their friend for yeah. good reason, uh-huh. you know, because the thing is, you know, they they were all thick as thieves, you know, in terms of, of the bond that they had together mm-hmm. and, the, and the the feelings they had for each other yeah. as, as, you know, and, as the, in that characteristics because they did know Nate. One of the things that I kind of came to the conclusion about writing this article is I really didn't know him that well. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know how, how many of us really did. Uh, and I think that that's kind of has to deal with the, the, with the thing when you have somebody that's dealing with the public and is very personable, but you don't really know who they are. And I think that's true of a lot of us because there's a lot of us that are friendly and that we, that we know, but then once they're gone, we start thinking, 
how well did I really know that person? Yeah. There are so many people that, that just run through our lives like that. Yeah. I never, you know, I, I never saw Nate angry. I never saw him like blow up at anybody. I have. Yeah. I, like, <laughs> yeah. Never, never, ever saw that side of him. And even the, the times that I saw him maybe going to a Jerry show or something okay, like that. Okay, remember, remember in Pulp Fiction, the scene where uh, where, where John Travolta, uh, Uma Thurman just had an overdose yeah. and he shows up at Eric Stoltz's house mm-hmm. and he's all, what are you doing? And he pulls up into his front yard yeah. and his girlfriend, played by Rosanna, uh, was it Rosanna Arquette? Yeah. Uh-huh. And she's got all the piercings, you know, she's yeah. like addicted to piercing and, and he's got the hypodermic, and John Travolta's got yeah. the hypodermic needle and they're counting down three and they're showing everybody and everybody's nervous and Uma Thurman's passed out and then they pan to Rosanna Arquette and she's just got this look of like, complete like, yeah, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> that kind of thrill of the adrenaline rush of like yeah when he was getting into conversations it was like that I don't think I think he really enjoyed conflict drama I think that he either looked for it liked instigating it like or this we're talking about during it. those Jerry's days no I think even down even up until the day he died because uh, and I'm not saying this as, as, a, as a slight this is just the thing that I noticed about mm-hmm. him he would post like he posted a while back that he was filming uh, a, sh- a gig with Monty Byram mm-hmm. and Chris Newfeld, and that Monty Byram played this ridiculously amazing solo and that Chris Newfeld started and he posted that he was hoping or he was wondering to see I don't know about hoping I, I might be misquoting him but that he was Curious to see if Newfeld was gonna like try to one up Monty. Is he gonna try to one up him? Is this gonna be a cutting heads? Will there be blood drawn? That kind of thing. You know, like are these gladiators in the arena? No, he just played something really awesome instead. You know, just something doing the other thing. I think he was kind of like he understood the power of of how audiences need to see bloodshed, and he understood the power and the poetry and punishment, and he understood our need for conflict, or maybe not need, but our kind of always whether we understand it or not or even know it like I didn't even realize it how much internal drama just my own article had you know how much dramatic conflict was in my own article until I got to the end of it I'm like oh wow wait a minute this whole thing's about that so as much as I'm writing about him wanting that at least he was the honest he was honest enough to understand that yeah I'm this is something that that appeals to him and in his own life it might be like a creative uh, conduit and he probably saw his life as that but it he was honest about it, and that's something that, uh, yeah. If you want to read Cesario's memorial uh, to Nate, which you everybody should, you can go to Bakersfield.com and look up uh, Cesario's lowdown. Um, so you could do that after you hear the rest of this uh, podcast. Yeah. Um, but okay, let's let's bring it back to Nate. In the for people who don't know Nate, we're talking about Nate Berg. He was involved in the uh, he was you know the Jerry's Pizza punk rock scene, doing all this stuff. Now Nate moves away. Yeah, after everything goes away, he, but then he, yeah. you start seeing him pine up, pop up online every once in a while. Yeah, and, and I guess we were we were friends on Facebook for a long time, but it's not like he was the most active. He wasn't doing the stuff anymore. But he started talking about a documentary. He was jumping into filmmaking, so there was two things yeah. that were starting to pop up. He was like, "Does anybody remember the Fugazi show?" At this particular kind of community center, Floridora, the yeah. Floridora Street in Fresno. Yeah, there was a Knights of Columbus Hall. Yeah, so he did a show. Uh, he was involved in putting Fugazi. So to him, uh, it deserved to have some sort of documentary yeah. put together about it. It was, um, kind of, yeah, yeah. If you know about, if you're fans of punk rock, you know Fugazi, Ian McKay. Ian McKay was in Minor Threat, uh, a band that kind of like, 
is known for doing the straight edge movement. Yeah, There's they no, no moshing allowed. Yeah, and they also had their own. They also played in Bakersfield. Yeah. in the mid nineties at yep. the Juarez uh, at the Juarez Hall. Hall, Juarez yeah. Hall and you well. were not allowed to mosh. So no. everybody remembers that. Remembers that. So at this time, Nate, uh, I guess they had booked Fugazi over there at the Fresno thing. And when he posted about that, that's when it kind of dawned on me. All right, he must be of a certain age. But like I said, I didn't know him. So I was like, okay, cool. So he's going to do this documentary, which I, which I know, I do know that he screened at Tendler yeah. Brewing. He does that? Yeah. He starts talking about this other movie he's going to start be he's going to start doing, which is going to be documenting the Bakersfield punk rock scene. I was like, ooh, well, that's that's kind of that's that's, that's a big that's, deal. Yeah, that's <laughs> a big deal. So where is he going to start? Um, kept on going, kept on going. Yeah. Soon it kind of veered more into the later nineties. Uh, then it kind of became, oh, this is going to be about Jerry's Pizza and all this stuff. So yeah. I didn't know where this was going. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you start seeing about Bones of Brundage, Bones of Brundage. Uh, I know he, he reached out to everybody that he knew in the scene, everybody from Jonathan Davis, who was featured in the film. Yeah. Cesario's in it. Yep. Mo Adami, uh, various Mo- characters from Jerry's Pizza. Mark DeLeon, Ty Elam. Yeah. Um, yeah. All the characters from from the Bakersfield music Chris scene. Chris Goodsell with some of the best stories in the, yeah. the entire thing. They're talking about like, oh, you know, it was a crazy place. You had to go over there and fight and everything like yeah. that. And boom, 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 everything like that. Lots of nostalgia. Right. Puts it out. Uh, I saw it on Vimeo. Yeah, because he sent I, me the link. Yeah, he, and I think because <laughs> he goes, "You're gonna see the film, man." Because he wanted me to be, and I was like, "Nah, nah you know what? I'm not really." I, I'm not really wasn't a part of that era, even though Mento was around at that time. But I go, that is your scene, and I think you need to kind of focus. You need to kind of like put some more focus into like one particular scene because there's there's a lot going on in this. Yeah, and I think what he took, (laughs) and like we were talking about before the recording here, it it was the original uh, idea of what the movie was going to be was kind of be revolved around kind of like a murder mystery kind of which I I have. I don't get that at all. Yeah, why? The way what he was, was the murder? The way the way he was describing it, I forgot. But <laughs> was it going to be like the great rock and roll swindle? Kind type of. Thing? <laughs> yeah, kind of. Where it's kind of like has its own sort of like narrative, and that all the history of it will be wrapped around it. That turned into kind of a, a smaller thing about certain people, but in within it, he found. He, he basically used it as a way for a, a lot of Generation X to tell a bunch of stories about this wonderful time, uh, Generation X and Millennials to tell about this wonderful time in history in, in Bakersfield where the music scene was fertile and intense and verdant and just chaotic and and growing and just it, it was eclectic as, as anything else. It was really something else. And I think I uh, you could write this this that could be chronicled in dozens of documentaries and would only scratch the surface of, of just how much of a creatively fertile ground this was in the late 80s through 1999 and the ascent of corn to become the biggest band in the world and what he what the movie finally kind of boiled down to where, was, where did it succeed and where did it fail I, the movie it succeeded in bringing together a bunch of people talking and then putting a, a highlight on on this particular time. Got the conversation started. Yes, the, where it failed, and no disrespect to uh, uh, pa- to Chris Pankratz or to Nate Berg, that where it failed was they started off with, they, they, they had a thing where they tried to sculpt it from all these hours of footage and trying to find the story inside of it. And I think what ended up happening was that they didn't have they didn't have a running narrative thread to really make it cohesive. They had it in different sections. And for what they did and how they did it, and in terms of the time that they had, 
they did a wonderful job for what it is but it did it's not really a documentary documentary it's too sprawling there's a lot of the new stuff there's a lot of small stuff the stuff about big about big jed could have been its own movie you know there's it's just such a fascinating kind of thing it didn't have a standard kind of uh block of first, second, third, fourth, whatever acts, or even there's a standard third, first, second, third act that even documentaries have where you have a beginning and ending and a resolution. It did, but it was just all this kind of stuff in between. And that's just my honest assessment as a film, mm-hmm. as a, you know, as, as a film watcher. But what it... And what somebody it, who was prominently featured in it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's a one part in the movie... Uh, where I don't remember, I can't remember if it was my idea or Nate's idea or if we both just came to it, but he originally was going to have a list of all the bands that I had, and I said, oh, no, it was my idea. And I and I told him, why don't you have, uh, no, I have a whole list that I have on MySpace of like the hundreds of acts that I've played with, not been in bands with, but that I performed with, mm-hmm. and why don't you put that and have it scrolling next to me? And, uh, and he did that. <laughs> so I'm talking, and then it's all, these are some of the bands that the stars uh-huh. performed with, and it's like, yeah, we're full table thank you Rebecca Haas for that one aka Moonshine Deathbed oh yeah so uh, yeah Bones of Brunch you can still see it I yeah. believe it's on Prime it's, yeah, it's you can available go on Prime. everything you like that go, yeah. yeah so that, w- that was an interesting little moment and the, you know everybody's gonna have their everybody's gonna have their feelings on it but the thing about it is is that it got done and I don't think anybody yeah. else is gonna would have done it yeah and, and in fact if it wasn't for that it wouldn't have brought up the it wouldn't bring up one very important thing that there as much as you and I know about the music scene because we were in it there are an, an entire group of people that are, have been maybe a generation after ours that have no freaking idea yeah. about any of that and because of that movie they have a, a, a bigger awareness of it because this movie c- came out in 2018 but it didn't really start getting a lot of traction until 2020 the pandemic yeah. when people were at home going huh I guess I'll watch that Bones of Brundage movie and then they watch it and they, they're like oh there's Bill Bamboni oh there's 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 uh, there's Sosa Garasa there's a, a Zach uh, Zach Griffin there's all these all these people from all these different bands there, there's Jonathan Davis you know and yeah. all these people that they've seen and known whether they were in the in, in the band uh, whether they were in the audience or on stage where it's it's a it's a welcome visit it's a nostalgia visit and he knew it was and so that's why I he kind of and one of the things he was going to do was he was going to use uh, Tommy Hayes as a bridge mm-hmm. you know Baker, uh, Bakersfield Sound architect Tommy Hayes guitarist who passed away last year at the age of 93 he used had a lot of footage of Tommy that he was going to use in Bones of Brundage and I think he used some of that footage in his last uh, high, in his last movie series, Highway 58, which he was still doing. The first one was about Tommy Hayes and, you know, featuring some other musicians in town like Monty Byram. And what this did, what this did for the punk rock Negan of the Walking Dead promoter with the baseball bat, you know, and, you know, and the, and the guy liner, it transformed him into a different, it reinvented him yet mm-hmm. again into a, a completely different group a completely different uh, to a di- completely different subset of the of the music community that had no idea about mm-hmm. him. So there are frankly people that know him as the basis for Sharon Tate. Tommy Sosby, he was he's from Texas. He was he s- was at a Sharon Tate concert when they toured Texas. He didn't even find <laughs> out about it until years later when they showed photos. And they not and so as a promoter, 
He knew an entire subsection of young punks and indie rock artists and everybody else. Anybody that was in the music scene that was playing in that kind of like alternative uh, rock movement that was happening in there. And now he's known and, and championed and, and held in high regard by the country music community because of the filmmaking work that he's been doing with the documentaries with the Highway 58, which he only got two of 12 done. Uh, and he was in he was in line of doing a, a, a documentary about Scott Sturdivant about the Tehachapi music scene. So he had all these things on his on his plate to write about that were using all those skills and the narrative form and focus that he learned from Bones of Brundage. I mean, I will say this about Bones of Brundage: respect to Chris Pankratz and to Nathaniel Berg because it was such a huge undertaking. And the fact that they got something done throughout of that, much respect to that. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. You should yeah. go, go check it out. Absolutely. Bone to Budges and see if the Florador is still going to be available. I know now that since he's passed away, I don't know what the future of those films are, either. but uh, it's not it's not on YouTube, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you look it up, Bones of Brundage. It's it's everywhere like that. I mean, gosh, I mean, it, it's such a it's such a tragedy because we're talking about a guy who came back to town. He was, you know, you know, reconnecting with Bakersfield. He was, you know, he's a grown man. He's in middle age. Yeah, you know, he's a dad. Fifty. Yeah, Jordan. Jordan Berg was his son. You yeah, know? he was a dad, and he was doing his thing, and he wants to do all these films, and like, you know, he saw importance of telling the stories of the Bakersfield Sound Pioneers, which weren't getting the same type of of adulation and spotlight and, as Buck Owens and Merle Haggard, and so he did it. I saw the first one that he did with Tommy Hayes, mm-hmm. and it was a very, it was very interesting because <laughs> yeah. it told it told a lot of stories. It started out with. Uh, like a dramatization of Tommy, like a guy who kind of arrived in Bakersfield in his car with a, you know, tells a story of a guy who shows up with a suitcase and then all of a sudden he ends up playing in bands to jumping into uh, Monty Byram and Big House and Glenda Robles and right. and um, Jennifer Keel. Yeah. It kind of jumped around all over the place. I felt like it was probably like the first or second draft of the film. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like it was complete. And he had very interesting angles of how he was filming it. I kind of had like, I had to turn my neck because he was like, well, I like to, and he had explained how he was approaching to film. Cause he filmed a lot of it on his phone. Right. So you could see it wasn't the clearest imagery on it. I mean, it, was, it wasn't very sharp on the, on the Fox theater, but right. You know, it was his thing, and there was a lot of people, a lot of older folks that were there, a lot of people that are like, yeah, you get to sell our story. So, you know, a lot of grandparents, a lot of grandpas that yeah. maybe played with one of the bands of Tommy Hayes' family. You know, Jennifer Keel, of course, one of uh, Bakersfield's best country vocalists that have come, come through town. I used to go see her with the Dooley Brothers Band with her big country hair over there at uh, Dustin's and all those type of things. She's, also, big 90s she's also the sister-in-law of one of our dear friends. Dan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean... And she still sounds great. Monty Barham says she's the best uh, best uh, singer he's ever sung with, you know, because they can harmonize perfectly. Yeah. And I've done stories of both of them, Cesario too. Yep. So, yeah. And then there was the, the next film that was going to, it came out, Bonnie. Bonnie Owens. Bon, about Bonnie Owens. Everybody yep. loves Bonnie. And it was have to do with the, it coincided with the return of the, of the Trout's uh, portraits that yep. had returned and they had them at the Fox Theater in the VIP section. And then, as you know, just as soon as he was kind of, getting ready to do his next project he was gone yeah and it, it, it says a lot about him about him as a person and as an artist because what he saw was one of the things he liked stories he liked stories about people he liked stories he wanted to tell stories and he saw the and he saw the, the story in the conflicts not so much of the resolution 
but which so which puts everything in such a weird kind of context because here we are now at his final resolution he's gone and nothing's so now everything that that it was and he was working towards is now resolved in such a way where it's it's just a bunch of stories that are just been told but never finished kind of like the stories of the people that of the ones that he was doing his tale his story is done you know and and you know like i said polarizing there are people that have as much as you know he's adulated uh, by his friends and people that knew him and people that 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 yeah, there's a lot of people label. out there. Everybody who he had really good, you know, that had great yeah. experiences, especially they're. I mean, now they're now they're dads and they've got yeah. their dad band and everything like that. But at the time, I mean, he gave them. He was able to introduce them to the scene and and they got to see their favorite band exactly. You know, for like ten bucks, five yeah. bucks, and or the, allowance, but, lunch money, and also <laughs> and also for the people that that look at him in a positive way. There are also people that don't. And for I, as I wrote in the article, I hope that he came to peace with the people that he knew that he had wronged at the very yeah. end. And or and, or thing. those people, if he wronged you in any sort of kind of s- silly way. Or, that or, or no, profound way, too. Yeah, it's like, you know, if you guys had some sort of beef, like, you know, I hope you had let it go. If you, were, if you were a teenage punk and he was in the punk rock scene and that's what was the, the punk rock scene kind of thrived right. on, conflicts. If you had issues with him and it was over something stupid. If it was any, if you were a drunken night and you got in a fight, I hope at this point in your mature life right. that you have just forgotten about it and let him and forgive him. And if there's <laughs> and if there's anything, and this is the same thing as with, with that would go for anybody that would need it. But if there were things that he might have, you know, hurt other people more profoundly. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. You have to talk about that. If there was any, yeah. if you had any something else that was a little bit more serious. I'm yeah. Sure, yeah, like you said, profoundly. Then um, hopefully they can yeah, come to the peace with their own. Yeah. Because now it's this. The, the, this is the only closure that we're going to have. Yeah. And, and the, the other thing is that, you know, it's it's we're kind of like at this this point now where we're seeing the effects that he had to this community, and you know, it, it's we have to we have to understand that that people are complicated, mm-hmm. and we're we're seeing we're going to be seeing different kinds of viewpoints and different kind of voices talking yeah. about it, and for what it is and for what it was worth and for what he for what everything he brought to the community, and in, in, in you know in which whatever way it was, Nate Berg was Nate, he was he was one of a, he was the only one yeah. that that had yeah. the the character the capacity to to have done the things. That he the for the for the music scene in terms of bringing the shows and making the making the documentaries and documenting these stories of the people of the sound of trying to find uh, either grace or uh, to find uh, momentum in a second coming after becoming sober and you know t- taking control of his life a little bit more or we don't know maybe it might have been something completely different maybe there's something else going on that head of his that we just absolutely have no idea but for whatever it's worth it's he's gone. And yeah. we're left to kind of pour over his legacy, um, you know, while taking care of our own. Yeah. And I want to I want to end this with uh, something that, um, you know, what, first of all, we want to send us con- send our condolences to his son and to his parents. Yvonne his parents and, live in uh, in Florida. Yeah, Yvonne and Brian Berg. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that was uh, another there was a, a previous story before Cesario did his column where uh, Stephen Mayer mm-hmm. had, had interviewed his parents. And um, one of the things they said was they are, uh, you know, after they found out and they opened up, which I'm sure was not easy to do, no. they said um, they are proud of their son while acknowledging he chose a path that was not easy. Quote, he had his own arrow 
and that's what he followed, said Yvonne Berg. I think he was great at what he was doing. We didn't oppose him, unquote. And that's the, that's the thing. It's, it's I, as, a, as parents, or just as people, we can imagine. If you Anybody that doesn't have kids can imagine the kind of pain. And as a parent, I don't even want to imagine that mm-hmm. pain. So it's one of those things. Uh, it's not, I keep saying it's one of those things. It's Nate's passing. He's left his, you know, he has left a son, Jordan Berg, in, you know, here. So his 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 own legacy is going to be transferred on to his children mm-hmm. and for an, an entire generation of Jerry's kids, you know. And I think the last train, the last line I wrote about was that um, his, his life was like a freight train barreling down the tracks and, and then disappearing into the ether but if you listen you can still hear the rumbling of its engines mm-hmm. and that's really what it is for better or for worse the paradox the uh, the controversial uh, polarizing Nate Berg his legacy is now ours to examine for you so you want to read Cesario's uh, memorial it's at bakersfield.com look up his lowdown rest in peace Nate Berg all the memories are out there go look at go look up Bruns, Bones of Brundage I yeah. mean I'm sure the, uh, the, the tributes are going to con- continue to roll out. Um, we don't have any information. Everybody's been hitting me up because we've been posting up about this on our Facebook. When, when we were looking for him was, you know, uh, where the services we have. I have no idea. Um, I'm sure everybody is still in shock, yeah. as we all are, yeah. and just trying to kind of, you know, make sense of all this, of what happened, you know. And, and, and also paying attention to our own lives. You know, exactly. Because, I mean, yeah. he just... The light went out. He was just living like life that. just like us. I mean, he was. Yeah. You know, somebody posted up on Facebook where he said he was going to work until he died, and he did. Yeah. You know, and and one of the things that I also want to say on behalf of myself and, and Matt and everybody that we know in the scene is that for anybody that you know, our condolences to those close to him, not just his family, but his loved ones, Mark DeLeon, John, everybody that was there that helped him out and that was helping him out, and that you know that actually took it. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Cesario. Uh, what I'll also do in the podcast info box. I will post up some links to uh, for Bones of Brundage. I'll do my research and I'll find out where the films are located so you can see those films and some other additional uh, links to to find out to get to know who Nate was because you know th- all we're left left with are, are memories and and possibly somebody taking up the mantle and making a documentary about Nate Berg himself. Exactly. So, <laughs> all right, we'll be right back. Thank you so much, Cesario. Yeah, you, you got it. You're listening to Real Talk right here on Forge 103.9 on your sound. Thanks for listening to the Real Talk Podcast. If you'd like to catch Real Talk on Terrestrial Radio, you can catch the live broadcast every Friday from 10 a.m. to noon on Forge 103.9 FM in the Kern County area. You can also stream the show and podcast from Forge1039.com. And if that's not convenient enough, you can also follow and subscribe from wherever you get your podcasts. Technology is amazing. Thanks again.